Good morning, everyone. Live from Collision here in Canada, I have the incredible Mikey Diamond, Mike Diamond, Diamond Life Fuel. And of course, I'm Dave Meltzer, and we have an extraordinary guest. We are blessed, as always, to have the CEO of Code. Uh, and Code and Trust is a codingtrust.com. Uh, and want to talk about all the awesome things that are happening over at this growing company. And I want to start by saying, you know, did you anticipate uh, the type of growth that you have gotten, Patrick? We did. We, we've got a, two other partners the, in our firm, and we've all had software exits and, and helped other people grow their companies. So, uh, you know, success is not an accident. We, we, we're blessed. We, we're, you know, we, we work hard and we, uh, we really get after it. But at the same time, uh, we, we, we're, we're very happy to help entrepreneurs and watch other people grow their, their software. It's just a, it's just so much fun. It's literally our favorite thing. I'm going to jump straight in. So you have two yeah. other partners and I know a lot of people watching are going to be intrigued because people struggle with partnerships. What do you think has been a key ingredient at your relationship with your two other partners? Well, we both, uh, in both cases, I had companies with those partners before. So we were, we were already a band as it were. I, I joke that our, our head of business development, our partner, that he's the drummer. We're not starting a, a business without him, right? Uh, he's, he, you're like, oh, let's start a thing. I'm like, well, Andrew's coming because I can't do it without him. Uh, so I think that that's number one, that you, you got to find people that are aligned in their competencies different than yours, right? Like he is so good at sales. He'll make 900 calls in a day. And, and just work it hard. And, and that it, it excites me, honestly, because I see him, you know, like a, another member of a basketball team. It's like, man, I see him working hard and doing his thing. And so that gets me jazzed. And, and together we're, we're in a good spot. And my joke for him in particular is that when I'm out doing something, having a conversation and uh, they, somebody, somebody wants to do a piece of a software I know that I can just throw a no look alley oop, and Andrew's going to catch it, take care of them, and make sure that the thing goes right. Correct. So, it, for me, it's about finding people that you trust, that you want to be around, and that are complementary to your particular brand of, of work. And, Patrick, you know, one of obviously the distinctions that you have, and probably where the word trust comes most in, because anybody uh, can code, uh, but there's a true it's almost an oxymoron code and trust and i've been in development since 1999 uh in calcutta india and morphing and rigging animation all types of different things but the word trust uh, i think is most aligned with the fact that you do onshore development and uh obviously that nuance is not a popular one within the context of coding uh how have you been able to afford doing onshore development and still be competitive in the coding space? Thanks for the question. I, number one, we I tell clients all the time, we named it code and trust because that's what we're selling, right? We're, we're selling code, but we're also selling trust. We want to be a team that people can rely on, that we're going to hit the marks when it comes to timelines. We're going to hit the marks when it comes to budget. Uh, we're going to be a partner in the 
thought processes of what we're building. And we teach. Wait, our, wait, wait, I got to interrupt you, Patrick, because yeah. I want to reiterate this because I'm a huge uh, proponent of what you do, meaning I would suggest everyone to at least give a look at Code and Trust. And I, I just wanted Mikey to share share a quick story because I think the subtle nuances or the real case studies, and, and you'll have a million of these stories, but you know, I, I, I thought of the morphing and rigging situation. We uh, did a video for a very famous, uh, animated video for a very famous uh, music star and uh, Mariah Carey. And, and, and she had a, it was a, a reggae Jamaican song and it, we were animating it uh, and over in India. And, you know, because of the communication difficulty, the animation actually, they were on time. And as we got down to the last part of animation, which, which is, you know, putting the bodies on, you know, the characters on, you know, as we came down to two weeks later, every character looked like they were from Ireland. <laughs> I think that's the most politically correct way I can say it. And because in the cultural context, you know, they didn't understand something that was obvious to us over here. And exactly. I can't tell you how much more that project cost when we found this out. And I do probably more videos than anyone online. Now, luckily, not nearly as expensive as MTV video and animated video. But I can't tell you how many times things come back that I just assumed there's no way somebody wouldn't know uh, or even a spelling still, you know, uh, verbiage. So I am sure you have millions of stories of the trust side of these things that it's unintentional. These people are very skilled offshore, but you can't teach, you know, 30 years, 40 years of culture <laughs> overnight. Exactly. It's so true. You know, the, the, the thing that I tease about uh, offshore in a lot of cases, especially early stage. Now it's a little different when you have a clear roadmap, clear requirement docs, everybody knows exactly what's happening. Uh, then, then they're pretty good at building a brick wall that's been built 200 times. But when you're at early stage, I describe it like you're walking into a restaurant and you sit down with the, the waiter comes up to you and there's no menu. And you just blindly dis describe what you think you want and what sounds good. And they go back to the chef and the chef whips something up. And by the time they bring it back out to you, it's edible. So you have to pay for it. But it is absolutely nothing like what you want. Uh, and so for us, that's our vision is we want to listen, we want to consult, we want to understand what problem we're attacking in the marketplace from an entrepreneurial perspective. Then we want to put a, a code team around it that thinks like entrepreneurs. We literally have curriculum sessions with our, our code teams to teach them this is what a minimal product, a minimum viable product is. This is what a design thinking is. These are the things that you need to be looking at so that when a client gives you a task, you don't look at it just as building a brick wall. You look at it for the whole scheme of what we're trying to accomplish for their end client. So that if you say, uh, you know, I, I think the button should be over here in this board instead of that board because we're going to save the user six clicks. That, that is valuable data that only an American thinking, uh, entrepreneurial thinking coder can can bring to the table. Well, Patrick, you're saying so many great things. Um, with trust, how, do you think some people 
can be taught how to trust or just in their core being, they're just not trustworthy people. Because you work with some people and they, they, they talk, they talk, they talk, and you're just looking at this incongruency. Do you think people are in denial about their actions and behavior? I think it's a little of both. I, I think that I've met, especially negotiating, you guys know, you, you get into these negotiations and early on, uh, I always want to, uh, I, I try to say, I'm, look, I'm coming to this in good faith and I am going to have a dialogue. And when I tell you something, it's going to be true. Uh, and and it, sometimes you can just tell off the rip that this person doesn't even have the desire to play by what I would call trust rules, right? <laughs> right. Like they're, they're just coming at this wanting to win at their own cost and they have no desire to let the other parties get to where they need to be or hear what they need. And, and when I see that, I, it, it really, it, it does send alarm bells off in my head. Like this is, this is not someone we want to, we want to work with. And we've even let clients go. Uh, we, we just had an instance in the last 12 months where we had a really good top five client that was just not being fair to us and our team and what, uh, what we had had put in the contract would ha would happen, uh, specifically trying to hire some of our talent, and and we were just like, yeah. At the end of the day, we just gotta we gotta let this client move on and and, and get them out of our life because we would rather work with people that that are uh, you know trustworthy and and want our services and are gonna gonna be honest brokers. Yeah, and you know that's a golden rule, as you know. You know most companies. They want the money, so they work with clients that bleed them like that. And what they don't realize is if they took all the time, energy, emotion, and value by firing a client and putting it towards the clients they already have and future clients, not only will they get exponential results out of the current clientele and get so many more new clients, but even better, that client that's bleeding you will go to a competitor and bleed them. So it becomes a situation where it diminishes the capacity of competition as well. Um, last question real quick. You are very specific with your Beatles uh, team that you have, you know, everybody has an extraordinary talent. Um, but one of the things I picked up on and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but you are a great philanthropist. You're a speaker. Thank you. Uh, you have a lot of alternative or, or like me, you know, many different things going on because you most likely are very efficient, effective, and statistically successful in what you do. But I want to recognize you because you're a Liberty Fellow, a Riley Fellow, a member of the Aspen Global Leadership Network and the Entrepreneur Organization Certified Speaker and EO Speaker. Uh, and what a lot of people don't understand is I sit here in collision, you know, doing pitch competitions, keynotes, mentoring, master classes, and networking, you know, in the speaker's lounge is I get more business development, <laughs> uh, you know, in one day at collision than my entire, you know, hundred person insourced and outsourced sales team that's out there, you know, trying to drive, get more opportunities. It seems to me that you're very particular in what your activities are, but it seems they're very aligned with finding new business that each of those things being a Liberty Fellow, O'Reilly Fellow, Aspen Global Leadership Network, and EO probably drives a lot of business to you. It, it really does. A, a friend of mine, a mentor years ago, used the, the phrase, do well by doing good. 
I, I, I just truly believe in, in entrepreneurship and helping people grow companies. And, and that just comes through in everything that I, I do, nonprofit or profit. And, and I just find that if you're out there helping people, they, they see it and they want you to win. Right? They're just, they just inherently go, well, there's somebody that's trying to do good stuff. Uh, I've got to go with, with one of these three companies. If all things are equal, I'm going to go with Patrick's because he's, he's trying to help other people and, and make a difference in the community at large. And, and I think that intrinsic value uh, does get you more business. But at the end of the day, it, just like you, I, I know this about you, that, that, that you genuinely want to help people or you wouldn't show up to the fight every morning, right? We don't have to get up and, and work tomorrow. Our, our basic needs are met. Uh, and, and instead we, we say, Hey, I want to do these things. Cause at the end of the day, they're, they're fun and they, they get me excited and, uh, and helping people is, is just a blast. Yeah. And two other ways that you help people as a co-director of the startup grind DC. And of course you chair the Harbor entrepreneur center in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, pouring into his community. And, uh, of course, when you pour into others, uh, money, success, happiness will follow. As you know, on my mission to empower over a billion people to be happy, I'm looking for people uh, like you, Patrick, Patrick Bryant, CEO, amazing team. Check them out, Code and Trust. Uh, if you want to understand value when you're coding as uh, a startup or, or a newer company, uh, 40 plus years of tech entrepreneurial experience that Patrick has, and you can see it when you work with him. You can see it on this show. Uh, winners win. Patrick Bryant, I'm glad you're winning. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. I'm so thrilled to be with you. Come back and visit. Thank you. All right. Right on. What a great guest to start off with, man. Got me fired up again. <laughs> what does your shirt say, Mikey, before we bring Ken on? Do it, live it. Yeah, that a boy. You're doing well and living it well. The president of Rusk Industries and an author, Ken Rusk, has joined us, KenRusk.com. And uh, really, really interested in uh, diving into this book as I'm traveling uh, after collision to Greece, uh, the blue collar cash, uh, growing up in Akron, Ohio, in, in areas where a lot of people probably wouldn't, wouldn't want to be, but Akron's a blue collar town, a Firestone town. Um, and uh, this man has a story uh, about consistent, persistent behavior and uh, how to utilize skills, knowledge, but most importantly, the desire to reach your potential. Uh, so, Ken, welcome to Office Hours. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'd love for you to share a little bit about your story, if you don't mind, uh, and what the title Blue Collar Cash really means to us. Well, you know, it, it's it's great that you talk about um, Akron and that whole surrounding area because you're right, that is where I grew up and it, it has its ups and downs, that's for sure. Um, my high school is actually connected to a fence which separated it from a uh, a huge industrial park. And we used to cut through this fence after school to go <coughs> hang out at the carryout, which is what a lot of kids did back then, just to kind of hang out and see what was going on before we went home. And every time I went through that fence, I walked through all these businesses. And one of them in particular, it had everything that a young guy would like. I was, you know, 15, 16, you know, it had dump trucks and jackhammers and tow motors and forklifts and backhoes and all that a bunch of guys milling around. And there was just always a lot of energy there. So uh, one day I asked them, what do you do? And they said, well, we dig ditches here. I said, I can do that. So I needed money like anybody else for 
take my girlfriend out or, you know, go bowling with my buddies or whatever. So buy my first car. So yeah, I, I, I hooked up with them and started digging ditches in the summertime. And then I worked in the office uh, in the wintertime when I was in, still in high school. So I kind of got a well-rounded uh, version of that. And um, at some point, I, I was, I think I was 19, they asked me to start opening franchises because we were growing so rapidly. So I started learning how to open companies on other people's money, which was kind of cool. And um, eventually landed in my own area here in Toledo, Ohio. I have two offices. Now we started with six people and now we have nearly 200. So it's been a hell of a ride. Amazing. I love another Buckeye. So I was a neighbor of yours growing up. This one, the one question I asked. So the, in Australia, I don't know if America is the same. When you hit 15, they give you the opportunity to go learn a trade and it's really pushed. I don't know if they do that in America, but I find when I was coming into school, a lot of my friends become tradesmen, are very successful. But for some reason, people think, oh, you've got to trade. And you think you have to go to college. And most of my friends that went to college ended up doing nothing. Why do you think that mentality is pushed on? Like that they don't see the importance of working hard and trade and learning to trade in a skill which lasts forever. Well, that is the million dollar question. And, you know, um, when it, there's kind of a perfect storm that happened uh, probably 15, 20 years ago. And what happened was we decided to take um, shop class out of high school and replace those rooms with computers. And, you know, we all need to learn computers. I get that. But you eliminated the accidental discovery of carpentry, plumbing, mechanics, electricians, you know, all that kind of stuff by millions of kids who would have just walked down the hallway and looked in that room and said, hey, man, what's going in there? That looks like it's pretty cool because that's what I did. So, it started with that. And, you know, obviously we needed to learn computers, but why did it have to be one versus the other? I mean, why did one replace the other? I never really understood that. So then you pair that up with the fact that, you know, kids are now working instead of building a tree fort in their backyard with hammer and nails and some lumber they found, you know, they're building Minecraft on these things, which is not the same experience at all. So if you couple those two things up, well, now, now that kid that could have been a, a plumber or a carpenter or whatever, he's walking down the hallway in high school going, man, all I hear about is college prep, college prep, college prep. So you've indoctrinated kids, parents, and teachers that it's college or else. And I got to tell you, with 167 million people working in the U.S., half of which do something with their hands, Nothing could be further from the truth there. It's a pendulum swing, and we need to get that back to the middle. 100% agree, and it's uh, not more the other, as you said. There's an interesting uh, trend, you know, shortage of people and the skills and the trades. Uh, and, you know, I think and feel the same way about cultural aspects of our education, and we need to rethink, uh, because of technology, our educational process. You know, it's I, I know people may may not agree with me, but, I would rather see, you know, someone have a choice between taking uh, things like trigonometry and calculus um, and about half of the other classes uh, that I had to take uh, through my journey of the long journey of education and at least give a choice of, you know, playing music, uh, you know, writing. You know, I, I love the fact that you're an author, uh, you know, and didn't go to college yourself and Gary, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's a good friend of mine, also a great author. And because of technology, we 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 don't need to necessarily read Shakespeare uh, or study art history to write books. Um, you know, it's so interesting. So um, you do, though, help people achieve their dreams as well. You are 
also pouring back into your your community. Um, and I think it's important. How how important is it to you to pour back into other people? You've probably exceeded your dream. When we come from Ohio and we have lives like yours and mine, I always say we probably exceeded our dreams. <laughs> yeah, we all kicked our coverage, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, to that point, though, you've really made a point of helping other people achieve their dreams. What are some of the things that you teach uh, to help people with their short, mid and long term goal setting that has helped you outkick your coverage and me outkick mine? Well, you know, I, I believe like like you do that, you know, giving back to the community. It's just it's it's incumbent upon all of us to do that. And and you never want to do it for a reason. But I can tell you, the more you give back, the more you seem to be blessed. And I, I don't I don't want to put that out there as a reason that you do it because you shouldn't. But it just kind of happens that way. Um, I, I will say this. Nothing happens in this world without you seeing it first. Okay, you don't get in your car and drive anywhere until you see the destination. You don't plan a vacation until you see where you want to be. So for me, I kept seeing the fact that these these people growing up, they didn't have a vision beyond Friday or the end of the month. And for me, it was all about, well, how can you anticipate all the things you want to get out of your life for yourself? You know, your version of Nirvana, what I call comfort, peace, and freedom in the book. How can you possibly get that if you can't see what it looks like? So my whole world is about, let's get out, uh, uh, you know, I, I teach this a lot. Let's gotta get out a big poster board and let's, let's, let's start drawing on this thing. What do you want your life to look like? What do you want your house to look like? What type of transportation do you want? What type of charity moment would you give if, if someone handed, you know, if you had some money and you could give it away or, or time, treasure, or talent? what would your pet look like? What would your vacation look like? What would, you know, what would your hobbies look like? Draw this stuff out because if, if you don't know where you're going, how can you possibly get there? And for me, once I knew uh, the, the things that I wanted to accomplish for myself, there's a lot of different paths to getting there. And what I'm trying to do is remove the stigma of having an amazing carpentry career or, you know, having a small plumbing shop, which you can make a killing at, or being an electrician or mechanic. If you know where your life is headed, you know, there's a lot of ways to get there. Only one of them being a college degree. Mikey, one, one second. I have to add in, you know, there's uh, my toilet broke uh, the other day and, you know, I got my bill and I'm like, are you kidding me? I go, this is more than my doctor. And the guy told me, he said, Oh, I know. I used to be one. Um, so anyway, uh, what, what, <laughs> one other one other thing that I want to add, uh, because huge visualization guy, I worked with John Asaroff, uh, did the movie Beyond the Secret and talked exactly about this it's on Netflix now. But, you know, I think it's important, too, when we do those visualization boards, you know, vision boards and, and other things. Uh, you know, I've developed kind of five levels of talking about what we visualize. And when we see that house and dog and color and whatever else it is, it's okay. What are we going to do every day? What are we going to say every day? What are we going to think every day? What are we going to believe every day? And even how does it feel? Because you see this board, it already exists. And I want you to feel what it's going to be like to walk into that house and to pet right. that dog and, you know, all the different things. And it's amazing at the five levels of intention, utilizing a vision board, how we can have exponentiality in the rapid nature of the universe of allowing it to happen by doing, saying, thinking, believing, and feeling. Uh, and we definitely, as a first start, got to know where to go 
And that vision board is extremely important to everyone. Sorry for interrupting you, Mike. I was going to say, do you think if a young kid is watching this struggling right now and he really believes he should be in a trade, do you go to a trade school or you try to find a mentor? Well, I, I actually think you do both. I mean, I can tell you that right now, we're, when, when we hire somebody, you know, it used to be that I could put an end to paper and 15 people would be sitting in my foyer the next day. Well, that's not the way it is anymore. It's kind of flipped where instead of me saying, me, boss, you, employee, why should I hire you? The person sitting across from me is now saying, hey, what's in it for me to work here? So it's a little flipped. And I'm okay with that because if I can answer that question, then I, I've got somebody there. If they think that I can build, that they can build their life with and through my company, then yeah, you're going to have a long-term, loyal, dedicated employee who's going to really, you know, kick kick butt for you. So, um, yeah, I, I think you should probably do a tech school, and, and and I think you should also find a mentor because you know you may find pretty quickly that you rise up through the ranks because you know if if you show up bright eyed and you look someone in the eye and you shake their hand and, you know, God forbid you're early. Um, you, that person's going to covet you like, like a baby, a baby bird. So it's, um, it, it's amazing how quickly you can rise to the ranks. And, and to your comment earlier about, about, you know, the, the different five ways that you have to look at vision, I'll only say this. I wrote an entire chapter about being a some dare versus a two dare, which, which is just, it's that very first step where, you know, someone says, hey, we should go to lunch someday. And you look back at them and you say, yeah, we should do that. That's great. And nothing ever happens. Well, if one of you pulls out your phone and hits the calendar and says, what are you doing next Tuesday? It's going to happen. So for me, it's all about what is that very first step that you're going to take today to make those things start to happen? Because once you see the success of that, you're going to be just a goal-oriented just like a, a super crushing machine. And um, I, I do a lot with, with, of coaching here at the office with, with people here with using that, that methodology, and it really seems to work. Yeah, it's amazing. 100% of the things you do now uh, get done. And right. so be that two-day person. I also find the people that are the do-it-now people are also the try-me people, not the why-me people, uh, and are the extra-mile-everyday people, the empty-mile people that aren't utilizing going the extra mile every once in a while to justify why they're not where they want to be. Blue Collar Cash, got to check it out. The million-dollar ditch digger himself from Toledo, Ohio, a Buckeye, just once again showing what it takes with skills, knowledge, and desire to reach a potential that may be even outkicking your own uh, coverage. Uh, please, if you have any aspirations of what it takes and who can help, Read Blue Collar Cash. Uh, Ken, certainly appreciate you. What a great story. What a great leader you are. No doubt as from Ohio. And, uh, you know, Ohio is kind of the Australia of uh, America. So uh, that's where they put all the really hard hitters. And president of Rust <laughs> Industries, <laughs> author, and uh, philanthropist as well. Being back and pouring into hundreds uh, into our community. I appreciate you, Ken. Come back and visit us as well. Love to. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Congratulations. Go Buckeyes. You got it. <laughs> All right. I also have to throw in the Toledo Mud Hens. Uh, we got a root dip on as well. If you're from Toledo, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, anyway, uh, Seth is here. All right, Seth. Seth Horoff hey, is here, and he is the United States, the USVP of 
Awin, A-W-I-N, com, um, uh, which is a huge global affiliate market networking, uh, market network. Um, unbelievable. I think there's about 22,000 advertisers or more uh, and uh, what, 250,000 contributing publishers. Uh, the numbers are just astronomical. Um, and so, Seth, just real quick, I'd love for you to give us a little background. Well, Matt kicked him out. That was nice of him. No, I think he dropped. Uh, anyway, um, why don't we go ahead? Matt's going to come. Uh, Seth's going to come back on and ask us a, a question and give us a little back bit a bit of background about affiliate marketing and networks uh, because it's so uh, substantial today. But in the meantime, oh, there he is. Let him back in. There we go. <laughs> Sorry about Sorry. that. We all <clears throat> that fast. But give us a little bit of background on the global affiliate marketing network. Uh, and then to maybe have a question for Mike and I. Yeah, absolutely. And it actually went uh, quite nicely along with uh, what Ken was speaking about. So really quick about AWIN. We are a global affiliate marketing network, um, about 21-ish years old, uh, founded in 2000. Uh, um Acquired ShareSale, which is a, a market leader in the U.S. back in 2017. Uh, like you said, over 22,000 advertisers, so brands and companies that we're working with. And right around 241,000 publishers that we're working with globally. So uh, people, influencers, companies that are helping market uh, to other companies. We are that connection between the two. Uh, it's... It's an, it's an amazing market and amazing industry. Uh, Awin and Sharesell do it right and they do it well. And one of the best parts about them is that they care about their employees, which was, I bring it up because I know Ken was talking about that earlier. Absolutely. You have a question maybe for Mike and I? Yeah, I do. Um, so, I mean, I've been coaching for 14 years. I've been managing people for the same amount. Um, and I've been working remote for about five years. So as we're trying to move into this post-pandemic lifestyle and companies are trying to figure out what that really means, um, I was wondering your perspectives on going back to office, on what that hybrid model might look like and where you stand on it. You want me to go first? I don't mind. I can go oh, first. Go ahead. Yeah, go, Mikey. You go first. I think, I think personally for me, there needs to be a balance. I don't think people should just be remote because I work with mental health. I work with addicts and I have to do interventions and one-on-one -on -one work. People need the oxytocin <clears throat> from being around other people. They need to see people in the eye and some people miss that. So I think there needs to be a balance. Some people are more effective at home. If you're an introvert and you work well from home, that's fine. But these, me, I'm an extrovert. I need to be around people. I need to be. So I think there needs to be a balance between especially companies and figure out what, pe what people need and then say, okay, some people need to be in the office. Some people can do a virtual meeting and it doesn't affect them. But if we don't find a balance and collaboration, too many people get isolated. And for me personally, I'm left alone. And I don't think that's a good thing. Yep. So it, it's interesting because, um, I, I think that it goes both ways. And, and I love the fact that as an employee, I would love to have the choice. And if I was an employee to be able to choose when as well would even, you know, be more empowering. Uh, but I also think that there's companies uh, that need to have the choice as well. Um, and that there's, you know, certain things that need to happen that, that can 
some companies can have 100% remote and, and hire people that just like to be remote. And some people need like a call center, maybe everyone to be there uh, because of the nature of the business. I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but um, I think the, the bigger point is what can we do with recruitment and retention uh, to increase engagement, both with remote employees and in-person employees? Uh, we have such an extraordinary resource, especially in America. And I think the number one critical business issue because of this idea that we're starting to learn how to utilize uh, the combo or the hybrid model, um, we are not getting the productivity, not because of skills or knowledge. We're not getting the productivity because of engagement. We, we haven't really aligned uh, our most important resource, our people, uh, with our business and the best way to engage the people in the business. Uh, you know, and the analogy that I've been using, Seth, is that, you know, imagine having Tom Brady uh, and playing him at middle linebacker. You know, I see companies doing that all the time, right? You have the GOAT. You, you have the GOAT on your team and you put him at middle linebacker. You know, and this is what's happening out there a lot of the time because people aren't more interested than interesting. They're not recruiting correctly because of the desperation they feel in finding aligned talent. Uh, and they're not retaining the talent by engaging them uh, and increasing the productivity. I would guarantee you that if Tom Brady was playing linebacker, his productivity towards the team would be negligible or negative. And if we moved him to quarterback, we might find an entirely different company uh, and a different record. And I see if you're someone out here who's running a company, think about how many Tom Brady's you may have within your organization that you have put at linebacker. And so let's find out who and where and what by looking at the skills, the knowledge and the desire and aligning it with the capabilities of your company and what you do today, whether it's remote or in person, uh, by simply asking, by simply asking, what are you doing today? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Would it help you if I switched you to quarterback? Right? Oh, I love being on the team. I'm, I love the locker room. I love working out. I love doing this. I'll give you 200%, you know, Robert Kraft. I'll do everything for you. But I have this, you know, I don't like the fact that, you know, I can't tackle, but but I can throw the football 70 yards on a dime. Oh, hmm, where can I put you? I see the exact same thing, Seth, happening uh, every day in businesses because of the fear of recruitment and retention. We're losing engagement, which then means we lose productivity and we start losing games instead of winning Super Bowls. Uh, I hope everybody that doesn't uh, know football at least somehow picked up on what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Uh, but I love when I can draw in all the past experiences I have. Seth, where can people find you at AWIN? Is it AWIN.com, A-W-I-N.com? Correct. It's A-W-I-N.com or Seth.Goroff at AWIN.com. And, you know, beyond beyond that question, too, you know, I love the fact that you built a community of sponsors and power sponsors. That's what affiliate marketing is all about. People who will help you and people who know people that can help you and get paid for that as well. You can build quite a revenue stream by using AWIN. So thank you so much for joining us, Seth.
Thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful day. You too, man. Congrats. Awesome, Bikey D. We're always around the world, my friend. Um, so uh, I don't know if one of my friends reached out to you, but they were having a little bit of difficulty. And uh, I wanted to make sure that you took care of them. And I appreciate that you uh, are saving not only lives, but families. Uh, so uh, thank you for being of service. I, I want to give a big kudos. When it becomes personal to me, uh, then it really uh, elevates the awareness of the value that Mike Diamond brings uh, by saving lives. So uh, thank you, brother. Anyway, uh, what's your takeaway for the day? You know, I really enjoyed uh, our second guest and what he was talking about, about trades. Okay. And I think, right, yeah, Ken, I think right now people need to trust themselves. And it's funny, you just said, you know, you could discover that dime in there if, you, if you're more interested than in, um, interesting than interested. So I think that if you believe in your heart that you should be doing something authentically, don't look at everyone else. Go inside yourself, trust yourself, and then start gathering the information because there's so much information in the world now. Like you said, we, I write books, I'm dyslexic. But you can, you can get self-educated, but trust in yourself. And if you feel it's right to get a trade or use your hands or whatever your inclination is, go for it. Because you're only gonna get older. And when you look back in time, you're gonna get frustrated of the things you didn't try. So trust yourself and give it a shot. Yeah, I think you know that trust is so important. And, uh, the context as well. I, it, my, my takeaway uh, is to change the way you look at things. Um, you know, coding has been around for, forever. And, you know, sometimes I always say, look at what other people aren't doing. You know, when everyone's buying, you should sell. When everyone's selling, you should buy. When the guy shining your shoes is giving you stock tips, sell all your stock. Um, but, you know, think about it. Like in the coding industry, you know, to come out and say, look, we're onshore, but to find the value, the differentiators of onshore development in coding, uh, you know, obviously ditch digging, you know, change the way you look at uh, the trades and the way we educate for trades and mentor for trades. And, you know, you know, plumbers make more than doctors because of it. And, uh, and then also, you know, with Seth and, and the questions that he asked, it's, you know, why not share in in our business? So many people have a scarce perspective and to look at it differently and create a global network of people that are bringing businesses, sponsors and power sponsors to one another um, and, you know, utilizing productivity as a tool in order to effectuate more business and to build a bigger community. I'm just blessed to have you in my community, Mike Diamond. Uh, just so you know, I got a couple more guys hooked on the Diamond Life Fuel, David Marino, uh is uh he was just having troubles uh traveling and being here in toronto and i said hey have you ever actually tried this you know and he, he was having headaches and caffeine withdrawal and all this and he's like whoa how fast did that work and he had an amazing night uh and, and felt so good with dopamine oxytocin serotonin and endorphins pumping through his positive system anyway <clears throat> As I'm sitting here without water, the great Mike Diamond, this is Office Hours. Thanks for joining me. I will see you soon. Thank you as always. Bye, Love you, brother. Awesome. I'm David Meltzer. This is Office Hours. David at dmeltzer.com. More than happy. Training is Friday. We have over 66,000 people registered for training, free training. You bring the questions, I'll bring the answers everywhere that I go. 
I'm here to be of service and value. If you're here in Toronto, stop by Collision. Come and see me. Uh, we got a lot of really great people around here in Toronto. And I want to thank all the people at Web Summit uh, for what they do. Uh, and my name is David Meltzer, David at dmeltzer.com. Remember, most importantly, be more interested than interesting. <clears throat> most importantly, but be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Office Hours. Check us out on Apple TV as well. We got a great show with great billionaires, millionaires, and entrepreneurs. Apple TV, Office Hours, David Meltzer. Thanks so much.